1: today we're going to be talking about something that's very relevant to all of us, but also sometimes when you look at the context, it's hard to find uh, where it fits today, because we're talking about servants and masters. Uh, other translations use slaves, bond servants, so those, when we kind of bring that up, it's a little bit awkward, because we don't condone it, but we also don't really see it, and so we have to understand it from a context, obviously, from where Paul was writing to the church of Ephesus. And so I will go through a little bit, and forgive me if it may be a little too many uh, backgrounds for the slavery and why is it brought up and how does it fit, but I do, one of the first things I thought of when I saw that I was doing this was, how does this fit under the home? Well, if we know the context and if we understand Slaves were part of the home. They they lived at home. They were part of the family. And so it fits directly under, in their context, the home. And so not necessarily now, but then it definitely fit under the home. And so they would often be called household slaves. So it fits right underneath godly homes. But another interesting thing is Paul probably wrote, almost tripped, Paul probably wrote this to um, the church that in this this in this room, for example, there would be slaves and masters right next to each other. And one thing that's pretty cool is probably, and there's no instance that it is, but there was no slave sit in the back and the master sit in the front. There was none of that. It was uh, a community. Um, but one uh, shocking thing I found was there was about 60 million slaves in Roman Empire. So for every three people, one would be a slave, which is quite, quite big. But without getting too deep into slavery and too deep into all the different types, I'm just going to bring two up. And that is one is the involuntary slave. So as we know, Rome would conquer a nation and they would take those people and turn them into slaves. Um, This created a slave economy where captives would, as one source would say, it was pretty much the institution of a large scale employment. that basically maintained the Greco-Roman nation. Without slaves, Rome couldn't get to where they wanted to. They were a big part of their uh, wealth and big part of their success. And um, it's very common to have these slaves. And as we know, they can be mistreated. Um, they were they were beaten. They were mistreat. They were misbehaving. Not mis- they weren't misbehaving, but the masters could do that to their mas- uh, to their slaves. And so. We, we do have to wrestle with that, and oftentimes they found them to be tools, not really people. And, uh, but then there was another slave that more than likely Paul is referring to here, and that is the ones that, well, let me, let me get there in a minute. But there, another type of slave was the voluntary slaves in which some people got into debt, and uh, they needed to buy their way out, so they became a slave to a master, and they were able to work their way to freedom And get their their debt paid, or there were poor slaves that genuinely needed to, they they couldn't live on their own, and so one way that they could really live is to become a slave, and that way they have clothing, um, they have a job security, you know, be it whatever they're doing, and so it wasn't uncommon for those people to become slaves. Um, But there are different types of slaves in that sense. A couple of facts about them. Um, A lot of times, depending on who Rome conquered, they would be conquering and taking in slaves who were more than likely wealthier, maybe, or at least more educated than even the household masters. And so they were not, a lot of them were probably not mistreated to the point where it was what we kind of think about slavery, they were in charge of, of managing a lot of the house. Um, we see some that were accountants, tutors, secretaries, and so depending on the situation that these slaves were in control of a lot and were responsible for a lot. Um, some poor um, like we've said, were able to come out of um, this slavery as freed people, and they could also um, be part of the family. It wasn't always. Um, what we think of as slavery, but one thing that we may be thinking, and I, I don't know if you're thinking it, but why is it not established that uh, slavery, why is it not abolished, or why is it not a force, like, why, why, why are there slaves, and why is the Bible okay with talking about it so nonchalantly, it looks like, like, oh, you just, you just live, like, you just be a slave, and you act how you want to act, and I not getting too deeply into it, but I think we have to remember that Paul is writing with the focus being that the gospel be spread. So we have to remember Paul is never trying to be the leader and never claims to try and be a leader of the protest. He's not trying to go around the city protesting it. His focus rather is how does it fit in context with what is a sinful thing and how can we as Christians, how can they as Christians live in that world? And so one reason could be also that Christianity was much smaller, and so if they tried to tackle this and the Roman Empire hears about it, they're going to be not cool with it. They're going to probably kill them out, and we wouldn't be where we are today. So tackling that and trying to speak out against it probably wouldn't be a good idea. Another thing is I do truly believe that It's something that was, and so the Lord said, let me use my power, let me use my gospel and my people to transform the hearts of this problem, and that's ultimately what the goal is, is they're in this predicament, they're not getting getting out, so let's transform some hearts, and I think that's what Paul's heart is in this text, as well as what we'll look for later in our workplace. But the scripture never supports it. In Exodus 21, 6, it says, Whoever kidnaps a person must be put to death, whether he sells him or the person is found in his possess- possession. And then in First Corinthians 7, 21, which we'll get into a little bit later, a little deeper, it says, Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain freedom, do so. So there's that um, hinting that we want you to be free, but if you can't, then... Let's live in that situation. Um, But something that I, I, I really don't want to get too deep into, but JT brought up in Leviticus the year of Jubilee, and what does that mean? Well, in the Israelite context in that time, really, if you were to sell your home or your land because you were in debt, the year of Jubilee, which was every 50 years, it was a time to celebrate freedom. So they would be given their land back if they sold it. And if they were a slave, they would also be able to be free. And I only bring that up because, and and it's not part of the context that we're talking about today, but I'm using it as reference to back up that the Lord told them that if this is something that you have to go through, it was a temporary thing. It wasn't supposed to be permanent. And it was also, I, I think, very powerful to say, hit reset on your life. So no matter how in debt you got or with your situation, they were called to be free at that point. So obviously we're not enslaved in that sense today, um, but for reference and for context, I think that's helpful and that's important. Um, But in today's society and in relationship with this, we are looking at employers and employees. Um, So that's the closest we can. I know all of us are technically not slaves. We may sometimes feel it. Like we're slaves to our organization or to our, our boss, but we're not technically because we do have more freedom to, to leave if necessary or to speak against it, and, um, but our authority is under a corporation and an individual. So when we read this, we need to understand it, yes, in the context in which it was written, but also how does it apply in our daily lives today? So let's go ahead and read the full text, and then we'll break it down. We're in Ephesians 6, 5, and we're going to be reading through 9. It says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way, without threatening them, because you know that both their masters, that your master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. So let's break down kind of what this is saying and what it means for us. Um, It first calls us to, um, for our employees, and, and in that time, to obey. And it says to obey in a couple of different ways. But regardless of if a slave was forced or it was voluntary, um, they were called to obey their masters. And just like we saw um, with the child-parent relationship, the child is under the authority of the parent, therefore they must obey. In the same sense, they're under the authority of their master, and they must obey. Um, It says three ways in fear and trembling— and Dr. Spivey spoke a little bit about that this morning, and I won't get too deep because I feel like a lot of us are pretty familiar with that term. And a lot of times it's referencing the Lord. But as we see in this text, in many, um, I think three, three times it says, unto the Lord, as to the Lord. So when you have fear and trembling towards your boss and obeying in that sense, it's because you're ultimately working for the Lord. And so you, you fear and tremble because you want to serve him and you want to obey him. So that's one way. And fear and trembling can also be respect and reverence, which I think I understand it better that way. Definitely respecting your authority better and having reverence for him to a point where you would work for him. And then with a sincere heart. I think this is like really, really important. It's so simple, but it's very important in our context and in our work to have a sincere heart. So doing it to the best of their ability and will, not being two-faced or fake, but with the right heart. And unto the Lord. So it's going to come up many times, unto the Lord, as to the Lord, working with the mindset that no matter how harsh your employer is or how, um, how it might be, to, at the end of the day, you're serving the Lord and you obey, you're obeying him. So I think the key to this part is that your heart is in the right place and that your mind is always on Christ when you're waking up and you're going to work. Um, so what does this mean? Just that we have a sincere heart, We have respect and reverence for our employer, and we work every day as to the Lord. Paul gives us instructions on what not to do. And so it goes on to talk about don't work while only being watched as people pleasers. Mm. I'm sure if you're like me, I kind of like to justify reasons like why it's okay if I can slack off or different ways in which I can maybe get on my phone more on social media or play those video games on your computer. I don't do that. Other people do that, right? But um, <laughs> but I did. I was curious about some analytics to this, and uh, forgive me, I, I may mispronounce it. But Zipia Analytics says that the average employee spends almost eight hours per work week on their cell phones doing non-related, non-work-related activities. So this is just one example of doing something we could be. That could not be honoring the employer, but also we're not honoring the Lord. It's basically stealing, and I know we don't like to hear that, and uh, but it technically is, especially if you're paid hourly and you're taking up your hours with being on your phone. Another statistic was 55% of employees say personal messaging is the top reason they use their cell phones at work. Many, I think, many of us fall into this entitled. I need to take it now, like this is important no matter what I'm doing, I need to take this and, and, that, and a lot of times it can be true, but in most of the times with work, it's probably just an excuse to get on your phone and you probably stay on it longer than you want to. But we can justify doing some things, especially, I'm thinking, if, you'll, if you've reached a level in your company or in your, in your business that you can feel like you can do whatever you want. Like, what are they going to do, fire me? And have this nonchalant attitude. i I know that that can be a problem, and definitely something that we struggle with, but this is not something that we are to do, um, and the Lord calls it uh, people pleasing, and, and, and definitely I, I've, I am that way sometimes, where I'll be working all day, and then I'll get on my phone, and that's when Ken walks by my office, and I'm like, I promise, I promise, I'm, I've been working. But he just always says, have a good day. And, you know. But I do think about this, and I, am I being a people pleaser or working only when being watched? Um, but as Christians, our work should not be questioned. Um, the Lord is calling us, like, as Christians, rather people should ask why we work hard, or why are, we, why are we not on our phones, or why are we so diligent and different? Like, Paul wants us and clearly is calling us to be role models and to be one of the hardest people, working people, and not just working to get credit or to gain something from the wrong motives. Um, But no matter the position that you're in, God is ultimately the CEO. He's the boss. And our behavior should be different as Christians. And Paul brings up this. um, It's very very interesting to me. It may not be to y'all, but slaves of Christ doing God's will from your heart. So Paul brings up this phrasing, slaves of Christ, which is interesting because we know we're free. And even as Christians, for the most part, aside being free as a society, but free as Christians, we're free from sin. But we know that just because we're free from sin, it doesn't give us the right to do whatever we want to do. So in the same sense, we, we might be free, but we don't want to do whatever we want to do in our workplace. We, we are called to, to serve Christ. in. Going into 1 Corinthians 7, which we've referenced, but I'm going to read a little bit longer now, it kind of shows us this. It says, Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each one person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So we see that if we are believers, we gain freedom in Christ, but we are not free to do what we want because we are under his authority as slaves of Christ. It's interesting, but it does say that often in the Bible, slaves of Christ. And that means we still work with a genuine heart, serving our earthly authority. This Bible verse also calls us to stay where God has put us. Maybe God called you to a place that you did not think Was your path, or you've been on a path of success and climbing in the ladder, and then God all of a sudden changed where you wanted to be. Um, Maybe your employer is not compensating you like you like or treating you how you want to be treated, but you know that the Lord called you there. So we are called to stay until the Lord calls you elsewhere. In the same way, slaves did not have the open up, in the same way, slaves didn't have that option. So it was very interesting. And like I've said before, there is some freedom today, but if you do think about it in their context, regardless if the master was evil or mistreating, they didn't have the right to say, you know what? I'm just going to go. I'm going to go find a different master. They didn't have that choice. So in the same sense, I thought, you know, God is our, our, our master. If he's called us to a place, regardless of the situation, and he has told us to stay, we have to go through that, and we have to go through those situations, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but... Being light and how our character can transform the office to be different than when we first maybe started it. But um, then it goes on to say to serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. Well, when I saw that, I was like, okay, that's really easy. Like, good attitude. I can have a good attitude about work and all I do, but. It's a very broad statement, but it's also very important to how we do our daily life. And uh, it's definitely easier said than done, but there are a couple of passages that I want to bring up that really support this. And, um, and one is Philippians 2, 14 through 15, it says, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Wow. <clears throat> so sorry for that one. So something remarkable about this text that we know, but um, it's, it's always worth noting, is Paul's in prison when he writes this to Philippi. And yet he constantly, in, his, in this letter of, in Philippians, talks about joy and contentment and giving glory to God in every situation. Furthermore, he wrote, this a very edifying um, book while he was in prison, and so this is just an example of Paul using a dirty situation for good. So uh, another important person that I think we can learn from having and having a good attitude is Jesus, and Jesus tells us to adopt His attitude, which is also found in Philippians two five through eight. It says, "Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality." with God, something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Same, same situation, God, became, uh, God becoming man and becoming a servant for mankind, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So when I think about attitude and when you think about how your attitude is in the workplace, how is, that, how is that when you approach work? Are you, are you really um, quick to, to gossip about somebody that you know is like really making you mad so it feels good to gossip? Uh, not saying that ever happens here, but it can be a temptation um, for sure. But what is your attitude also towards when you're butting heads with somebody or you're not getting along with somebody and you have that friction? How are you being... Um, How are you adopting that attitude that Christ has called us to in your workplace? Do you seek peace and reconciliation, or do you use it as a way to have fun and talk about other people behind their back, and you don't seek to actually resolve anything in your workplace? Um, But I know you may be wondering, because I, like I said, anytime I put you may be wondering, it's because I wondered it. Um, (laughs) I might be the only one again, but, you know, there are some people that definitely deserve to be, you know, put off or gossip behind because they treat you badly or you might have the attitude that it's just a job, it's just something that I do, it's I'm flipping burgers or I'm, I'm just hanging coats and, and, and that it, it, you don't take it as seriously but in verse 8, it, does, it goes back to that point that we've been talking about. Because you're working for the Lord, He sees the hardships you face and He also sees how you handle it. So no matter how rude a person is, God sees how you respond, and he gives a promise. He says he will reward every good that each one does. Now, this isn't talking about karma. We're Christians. We don't, we don't believe in karma. But it is saying that if you do good, regardless of your situation, the Lord will reward you. And he's reward, rewarding you whether, whether or not you get a raise, whether or not you get promoted. He may not reward you in that sense. But we are promised an eternal reward. Through this, and that's eternity, and we will be rewarded in heaven. But this passage is clear that we can be mistreated in, in, in our workplaces or with ha- having a lot of disagreements with each other and in our, in our, with our employers. But where our heart is day to day with our empl- with our friends, our colleagues, and employees matters because God sees our attitude, He sees how we respond, and He knows. And we were promised this eternity. In in, in Colossians 3.24, it's basically almost copy-paste what Paul is saying here, but he uses a different language that I I, I like. It's saying, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. And we know that we have that inheritance in the Lord. So all of our grumblings, all of our things go above just earthly matter. And we have to remember to have the mind of Christ because he has called us to that. But God knows what it's like to have a lot of trials, to be faced with hardship. And he modeled perfectly for us how to handle that. And we just have to do that um, day to day. Another passage that I I wanted to talk about was in 1 Peter 2, 18 through 20. It says, Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, because of of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief for suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor to God. So it's just another verse that's affirming endure the trials with a positive attitude. And God is is favored and he is honored by that. Now we see at the very uh, last verse, verse 9, that it's talking about masters. And it goes, masters do the same or in the same way. So that's another thing. It's like, okay, what do you mean by that? And I take it to say, masters, do the same thing I just called the the slaves to do. So respect your slaves. Respect your employer or employees. And work with a sincere heart. Make sure that you're treating them fairly. And Paul is stressing, too, that, yes, you have authority. God gave them authority over the slaves, but don't use that authority to mistreat them, and also respect them, and um, and it's really calling them, him to do the same thing that he called the slaves to do. First Peter 2 that we just read goes on to say, submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, and honor the emperor. So, The reason I put that is just because you're you're a master, you're a master or an employer of people, or in charge of a company, or really high in your place. Don't abuse that authority that God gave you. Um, And in this day and time, Paul is calling the masters to oppose threatening, which we know is a very common thing. But it's talking to Christian masters and saying, you especially as Christian masters should cease your threatening, and you should not be. Verbally abusive or physically abusive, because I've called you to something better and higher. So, as Christians masters, as Christian masters, it, we should treat the slaves. They should treat the slaves as equal. And and God goes on to say He shows no partiality. So, in the same way, they too should do it. And today, I was thinking, how does that apply? And you know, obviously, we're not beaten up, and but we can, I think, be verbally abused by an employer, or we can, if we're in charge of somebody, find ourselves. Threatening them with something. Some things that came to mind were just because they had a bad day, don't threaten to fire them and joke around with it. And don't act better than your employees. Don't play around with personal finances. They, they, they genuinely um, are working for you. Don't, don't make them feel bad about whatever they did. But in the same way, work for God. Do not take advantage of the authority that, they have been, that has been placed on you. Because God does not show favorites. And uh, we know that there's a lot of verses that talk about that. Um, But in the slave-master relationship, it should be equal. It's a pretty astounding call because there is different authority. And they do have authority over one. But as Christians, we are equal to one another. And we should respect one another in that way. So how do we apply all of this um, today? Well couple of things. Um, I'm thinking, how many of us, as we go to work, let's say tomorrow, are going to wake up and think, today I'm going to devote my whole self to my job and to my employer, because that's what God calls me to do, and ultimately I'm serving him. Or when you have, you know, in school, your projects and your papers, um, are you doing those halfway, last minute, or are you doing it as to God, and it's cliche, I think, but if you do think about it, if you hand your work or your paper, your projects to the Lord, is he actually going to accept it because he knows you put your whole heart into it, and I think that's something we always struggle with because we're very busy, and and we can get very bogged down, but the Lord calls us to be sincere and, and to do things with a good heart, and so... Are you genuinely doing that when you work? Another thing, and this is a little sticky, but it's something that needs to be addressed, is I think a lot of times people want things handed to them. And so the minute that there's like a disagreement in the workplace or difficulties in in a relationship, we see that as a sign, oh God, you want me to leave Uh, and pack up and go. But I think for the most part that there there is room for that. But if God called you there, we need to stay. So Just like slaves were forced to work for the master, they did not get the option to leave. Even if evilness of the situation, the Lord gave instructions to the slaves to obey and respect because they do not work for the master, they work for the Lord. So the next time there's a disagreement at work or you have a dilemma with a a co-worker or there's there's tension and it's awkward every time you go into the office, let's seek as Christians to reconcile with that person. I'm not going to do it. Let's reconcile with the boss. Let's be better. Let's let's be the standard that God called us to be. And just like the video says, let's be the light in the workplace. The workplace can be dark. Let's be the light and be the example in the workplace because we've been called to that. And lastly, um, it goes right with what I've been talking about in point two, but just like in the worship series, When we go out, we worship, and we also are spiritual acts of worship. And most of us, the majority of our work week is on display outside of church. We can put on our face here, but your true attitude and your walk with Christ is on display at work. And so you can be something here, but it really, really matters more when you're out there because you can make the impact. And so we're called to to be the light in our in our workplaces. And some people don't know Christ. And some people in, in our workplaces aren't allowed to talk about Christ. But the way that you act and treat people might be the only Bible they have. And you can be the, the person that says, hey, this is why I'm different, and be that missionary to them. So our duty as we go forth is to be living examples of Christ and to endure uh, any hardships because Christ did, and we we're called to do the same. And so, lastly, I just want to end with this verse, Hebrews twelve fourteen. 14. Um, I saw it on an Instagram post literally 30 minutes ago, and I thought that's perfect. The Lord does that. It's, it's pretty, pretty remarkable, but he says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, we, we thank you so much for this word, and we, we know that we live in a world that pulls us around and tosses and turns us, and we know you've called us to this standard, and Lord, I just pray that we all examine our hearts, and we would listen to where you would call us this week and where our attitudes can shift, and maybe we have a person that we want to talk to now that we know that we're called to, to reconcile and called to love, um, Lord, I just pray that as we go forth, that you would be the light in our life and we would be light in other people's lives and we would be the example that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church sermon podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817 926 1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrill Street Baptist Church has six church goals. To reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.